Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Welcome to the Bundesliga is back, a game day podcast with me, Kevin Hatchard. If you don't quite know your Bayerns from your Borussias or your Leipzigs from your Leverkusens, then this is the show for you. First up, though, a reminder that there are plenty of other podcasts to enjoy on this channel. On Sunday, Danny Kelly looks back at the sporting weekend with the record book. On Thursdays, Sam Matterface hosts our game day preview. And we also have a special series on Wednesdays as we find out from the likes of Gary Lineker what it's like to be a striker in Upfront With. But for now, it's time to get stuck into Germany's version of Project Restart. Every league is watching the Bundesliga now to see how this plays out. Plays into Sancho at the edge of the area, gets it back. Oh, what a goal! Good save from Neuer, got his left foot to it. For 3-1. A little bit of hope. Lundman inside the penalty area, it's 4-0! A little bit of joy. And they've equalised! And guess who scored it? The substitute, Erling Brat Haaland. And a little bit of entertainment. Well, wonderful team goal for Bayern, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it really is. They're taking the Michael now, really. Everybody is really uh, ready now to go. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and over the next 60 minutes, we'll be looking ahead to the big kickoff in German football's top flight. European football expert Andy Brassel will join us to look at the mechanics of how it's all going to work. Borussia Dortmund reporter Lars Polman will give us expert insight into the game they call the mother of all derbies. We'll speak to former Scotland internationals Paul Lambert and Mark McGee about their time in the Bundesliga. And we'll head to the Rhineland to catch up with journalist Archie Rindt-Tutt. It's all coming up on The Bundesliga is Back on TalkSport 2. So it all starts this Saturday with five 2.30 kickoffs. There's the Rafir derby between Borussia Dortmund and Schalke, one of the biggest games in the German calendar. The other matches in that time slot are Hoffenheim against Hertha Berlin, Augsburg versus Wolfsburg, Freiburg go to title chasers RB Leipzig, and there's a relegation scrap between Fortuna Dusseldorf and Paderborn. Saturday evening at 5.30, there's a mouth-watering clash between Eintracht Frankfurt and Borussia Mönchengladbach. On Sunday, Mainz 
Saints boss Achim Bialorzer visits his old club Köln at 2.30. And at 5, the champions and league leaders Bayern Munich return to action in the capital against Union Berlin. And match day 26 wraps up on Monday night at 7.30 as second bottom Werder Bremen face Bayer Leverkusen. And now Bayern are able to bring it forward with Kimmich and the counter-attack is on. Three against two and he's gone for goal and scored quite magnificently. Now, the return of the Bundesliga is dependent on the hygiene concept that the DFL have been working on for weeks, but there'll inevitably be positive tests along the way. There were positive tests at second division Dynamo Dresden that saw the whole squad put into quarantine. This was the reaction of German football journalist Raphael Honigstein. They had two positive tests at the weekend, and the local health, health authority in Dresden, who are in charge in these matters, decided that because they've been back in full training, um, having contact, etc., on the pitch, that every staff member and every member of the team should be considered a risk, and therefore the whole um, inner staff and the whole team were sent down to quarantine for two weeks, as you said, which of course makes them now miss two games. It'll also mean that they might not come straight away back because they'll have to train again. They can't train at the moment. And the sporting integrity of the second Bundesliga is going to be put into question. Now, what the league is saying, look, we kind of know that this is going to happen. We, we left some space in the fixture list to make up for this. We're trying to finish by the end of June, but if we have to finish in mid-July, so be it. And one of these Dresden-type scenarios will always, always going to happen. I think where there is going to be a huge problem, of course, if one, we have a much more prominent team be affected. Let's say Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich are sent down to quarantine in the middle of the title race. And B, if there's too many of these Dresdens happening. If there are three or four teams out at the same time, then you'll quickly get to the point where the fixture list is going to be so difficult to fulfill that they might have to pull the handbrake. But we're not at that stage just yet. The thoughts there of German football journalist Raphael Honigstein. Well, now to discuss some of the details of the new normal in German football is the European football expert and talk sport regular Andy Brassel. How are you doing, Andy? Well, I'm good. You, Kevin? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Now, this is something... Uh, this uh, hygiene concept is something that the DFL have worked on uh, for weeks. And this is the central plank upon which this restart has been built. Can you give us a bit more detail on just how this hygiene concept works in terms of testing and in terms of quarantine? Well, um, the widespread testing has, has been the key, uh, as you say, Kevin, just as it has in German society at large. And this is why people are, are optimistic that it, it should work to, to some reasonable level. Um, I mean, when they had the first round of testing and they did two either side of uh, not the weekend just gone, but the, the weekend before, uh, one on the Thursday or Friday and the, the, the second on the Sunday, depending on the on the club, um, the idea was to get some sort of clarity of the picture. And when the project, led by Dr. Tim Meyer, who's the physician for the German national team as, as well, um, came up with 10 positive tests for the first 1,724, to be precise, tests that were, were made, um, he was presenting it almost as a good thing. And the DFL, the, the German League, were presenting it as a good thing because they were saying, well, this is doing what it's meant to do. It is meant to detect what's happening. And as Raph was saying on his clip, I think it's completely unrealistic to imagine there might be one or two cases out there. And, um, you know, that's been shown to be the case in, in other leagues as well. 
But where um, the DFL has got all its ducks in a row, really, is the fact that they have had, as you say, this hygiene concept, which has been very specific. There's also um, an away travelling concept as well. Um, So for home games and match day operations, as they put it, um, they have a maximum of 300 people, 100 in each of the zones. The interior, which is pitch and the dressing rooms, the stands and the stadium exterior, which is the perimeter of the stadium where you might have uh, TV vans and security staff and all that sort of stuff. For the away games, uh, the idea is um, that players will all have single rooms, um, no one sharing. Um, You're not allowed to touch the buttons of the elevator with your finger. You have to use your elbow. You're not allowed to go to the bar, which, of course, I say coaches would say probably a good thing when you're on a away trip. (laughs) And um, you're not allowed to share any buffet facilities either. So they're little things really for the players. Now, it's such a disciplined existence. And I know we, it's something we might touch on, but um, the Solomon Kalu issue where he was um, caught on, on his own Facebook Live actually shaking hands with his teammates. These are all things that are part of a very automatic, very regimented routine that all footballers at top level around the world live and at lower levels as well in many cases. So really, it's a case of not just footballers following the same hygiene protocols that we've all had to learn to follow in in daily life, but they've had to unlearn so much of what has been regimented. In many ways, being a footballer is like being in the army. You're prescribed what to do all the time. So I think there has to be some understanding of that. And I think the BFL have tried to look at that, the fact that footballers really have to be walked through this and told what to do at every stage. You talked about that Solomon Kalou video. Uh, for those of the, uh, those listeners who aren't aware, he uh, released a Facebook Live uh, broadcast which showed him, as you say, Andy, shaking hands with people, with staff and players. Uh, the doors were supposed to be open and they weren't open, so obviously uh, door handles were being used. Uh, I think the proper protective equipment wasn't being used in one of the uh, COVID-19 tests that was being yeah. performed. Do you think that actually, in in a strange way, turned out to be a positive because it sharpened everybody up and it was the kind of wake-up call that maybe some clubs and some players actually needed? 100%, Kevin. Because the thing is, if Salomon Kalou hadn't taken a very daft decision to just film himself on, on, on Facebook Live, and you know, we know that that's very much frowned upon in professional sports teams, breaking that omerta and showing people inside the, the, the bubble. Um, it, it's worked very much, I think, as you say, a bit like Rudy Gobert in American sports. The fact that um, he was the, 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 the basketball player for the Utah Jazz who um, mocked Corona by like rubbing his hands and, and, and face across the microphones of all the journalists. And just a day or two later, it turned out that, that he tested positive for COVID-19. Some of his teammates were very upset with him. But it did lead to the shutdown of the NBA far earlier than the government would have required it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree because you can have these perfect protocols in place, but you have to actually... I think Tim Mayer, the doctor who I was talking about before, said there's a difference between making the plan and living the plan. And that's what they've got used to. And, um, of course, it's not just the government. It's not just Angela Merkel who makes these decisions on her own. She has to do it in tandem with um, 16 uh, federal uh, governments um, for the different regions. And um, the the Berlin um, Senate, for example, who said after that, right, well, 
And they didn't say it in a threatening way. They said it in quite a matter-of-fact way, I thought, when they released the statement. We're going to make lots of unannounced checks on Hertha and Union, the other Berlin club, to make sure that they're doing what they're meant to be doing. And that can only be a good thing. The DFL have been at pains to stress that they feel this is very much a week-to-week situation. Christian Seifert, the the DFL's big boss, if you like, said that uh, we have to prove every week uh, that we deserve the right to have another week. So uh, Mm. I think everybody's treading very carefully, aren't they? Yeah, they are, Kevin. And um, it's interesting that the the clubs are going to, the top two division clubs, so the 36 professional clubs, are going to have another video conference meeting today where they're going to discuss not only where they are in terms of current protocol, but going back to what Rafa said again, what might happen if something goes wrong? So as well as they're looking at stuff that I guess on a football-specific level would be of interest to fans, like the, the five subs rule, which they look as if they're going to improve in, in the short term, at least till the end of nineteen twenty season. Um, it looks like one of the other things they're going to do is give the clubs permission to change their home games at, at short notice if there's um, a, a case of infection or um, some sort of hygiene risk. And, and so that could even be that um, a game was played abroad, for example. They haven't even ruled that out. Now, obviously, it's different because Germany's... It's not like England. It's not an island. It's its, it's in Central Europe. Clearly, they couldn't do it in Holland or Belgium, who've, who've cut off their seasons. But maybe there would need to be some sort of cooperation with Austria. But it's about keeping um, options open, really, um, and, and trying to second-guess a lot of stuff that really is impossible to second-guess. Always great to get the very latest from European football expert Andy Brassel. Well, now it's time to turn our attention to the title race in the Bundesliga. Here's TalkSport's Jake Watson. Before the Bundesliga season was suspended, Bayern Munich were on the charge. On the front foot again now, Nabry, and he's put it. A run of 10 wins in 11 league matches saw the Bavarian juggernaut roll into a four-point lead at the top of the Bundesliga. Caretaker coach Hansi Flick was handed the job on a permanent basis and was given a deal until 2023. Robert Lewandowski is the league's top scorer with 25 goals. Borussia Dortmund are in second spot and they've been boosted by one of the January transfer window's most exciting signings. And they've equalised and guess who scored it? The substitute, Erling Braut Haaland. 19-year-old Erling Braut Haaland has rattled in nine goals in eight Bundesliga matches and Dortmund have won all but one of their league games in 2020. England's Jadon Sancho has been the creative heartbeat of the team. 14 league goals and 15 assists. Plays into Sancho at the edge of the area. Gets it back. Oh, what a goal! Dortmund's first game back is a Riviera derby against their big rival Schalke. And they know that Matchday 28's home game against Bayern could define their season. RB Leipzig showed their quality by dumping Tottenham out of the Champions League. Verma steps up, puts it into the back of the net. Nothing Larice could do about that. And RB Leipzig have the lead. They're only a point behind Dortmund, but they'll need to rediscover their best form. Julian Nagelsmann's exciting side have won just two of their last seven Bundesliga games. So Bayern Munich in the driving seat, but still all to play for in the Bundesliga. TalkSport 2's Jake Watson there. 
So Bayern are the favourites going into the final stages of the title race. And now we can get the perspective of one of their former players. Owen Hargreaves played over 100 games for the Bavarian Giants and won four Bundesliga titles in the process. And he spoke to the guys at Drive over on TalkSport. You know, I think in the past Bayern have run away with it and they've changed manager. Hansi Flick, the temporary one's come in and done an unbelievable job. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the fans here in the UK would have seen the way they played against Chelsea, you know, where they were absolutely unbelievable. So, um, Bayern are the heavy favourites, but as you said, Dortmund are four points behind. Um, Leipzig have been exceptional. You know, they, mm. they blew Tottenham away in, in, in the Champions League as well. So, you know, there's, uh, and Gladbach, you know, they got a really young team with Marco Rosa, one of the most talented managers, young managers in the game as well. You know, that's, that, that's the top four. And I think it's exciting, but Bayern, as always, because of, you know, the players and everything, they, they are the favourite. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's an incredible title race, really, promises to be. And I think the big game this weekend is Saturday, 2pm. It's on BT Sport 1, the Ruhr Derby. Dortmund need to beat Schalke, don't they, to keep the heat on Bayern? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the thing is, before this happened, you know, I think their manager, Lucien Favre, he had settled on a on a shape and a formation, a back three with wing-backs. Emery Chan came in, you know, obviously from Liverpool before, came from Juventus. Uh, he was terrific in midfield with Witzel and then all eyes are on Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland you know Jaden on his day is one of my favourite players in the world to watch so Dortmund are, are brilliant going forward Sancho and Hakimi on the right hand side honestly they're, they're terrific to watch so they're favourites against Schalke but um, you never know that is a huge derby you know that is that is a proper that is a proper game uh, and I'm sure the, you know I'm sure everybody will just be delighted to, to be able to watch a game of football again even though the fans will be missing which is which is pretty significant what other games we got to look forward to um, on BT, Owen? I mean, we've got some big games coming up. When did Dortmund play um, Bayern? Is that in a couple of weeks? That's, uh, I think that's that's Tuesday, top of... the, Tuesday the 26th, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you made a good point. You know, every game really, because of the gap, I know it's only four points, but Bayern, the form that they're in, and, you know, you don't see them dropping that many points, you know, for, for, so for, for Dortmund this weekend, you know, they have to, they have to win. Uh, so I think for those teams down there, every game, every game is a must-win. I heard Julian Nagelsmann, the Leipzig manager, say it's almost like a like a European Championship, you know, a little little tournament on its own, you know, and that you want to find a way to come out on top of it. So I think they're they're very keen as well. I know they got a really young team, but he's one of the the best, bravest young managers in the world. He's got some amazing young players, so they'll have a right go. Even when I watched them when they came to Anfield, I remember speaking to him and their sport director at Hoffman at the time. And I said to him, surely he's going to sit in at Anfield and just, you know, and, and play on the counter. He went, he went, him? No, never. He said he'll go, he'll go full throttle for these guys. So Nagelsmann, he'll try and find a way to get push Bayern. Obviously, they're, I think, what are they, five points behind. Um, but they'll be brave and then they'll have a go as well. And it's great for the league because I think, you know, it's, it's about time that that gap to Bayern was, was closed a little bit. And don't forget, you can catch every Bundesliga game on BT Sport, where Owen is one of their experienced pundits. So we've heard the Bayern side of things, so it's only fair we get a perspective from one of their title rivals. Paul Lambert is currently Ipswich Town boss, but back in the 90s, he was winning Champions Leagues with Borussia Dortmund, and I caught up with him to hear exactly what that was like. This team was a special team, I think, um... The players were, were genuinely world-class players that I played with. The, the Germans had just come back off the Euro 96 win as well. We had a lot of the guys that I played with, Andy Moller, Karl-Heinz Riedler, Jürgen Kohler, Stefan, Roy, Stefan Freund, Adi Tepalo Sosa, Julio Cesar, Matthias Sammer, Jörg Heinrich, 
Stephanie Sharp was there. All great, great, great players in their own in their own right. And uh, and you're talking about a special team. That was a that was a special team. And everything really. And I think the, the shock wasn't there really a shock for for me against Juventus at that time. It was it was well deserved. We were the best team in Europe at that time, and deservedly so. In terms of Borussia Dortmund as a club, how much did you know about Dortmund and what a special mm. club it was before you got there? Well, I played against them uh, for Motherwell in the, in the UEFA Cup at that time, um, I think two years earlier. and uh, So I played the home and away leg. And I remember playing in the West Valley Stadium, is, is what it was called then. And I remember we, we'd done a warm-down, you know, after the after the match. And I remember... Going out in the warm down, thinking, what a place this must be to to play every other week, and uh, and a couple of years later, I was actually doing it, and it, it was a special place. It's a, it's it's a, an atmosphere, a ground that I don't think is is rivaled. I think the the way they've got it structured, and the way the the yellow wall at that time is is massive. I've actually, I've actually stood in the yellow wall watching a game myself, which was which was a great experience. So, um, but I really forced them to play with a special club. Now, we've worked together in the commentary box uh, on the Bundesliga World feed, and you know as well as I do what uh, an exciting league it is. Just for listeners who don't have much experience of the Bundesliga, what what do you think are the qualities that really attracts people to it? I, th- I think in, in normal circumstances, as obviously the fan base, the teams have got over there, I think yeah. they're, 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 you know yourself, the, the, the fan base is here. And it's not just the actual game, it's the actual before, during and after the game, how the fans can really mix with each other. I think the, the, the fan zones is a great idea. I think before the game is an incredible event because you can go to, for instance, when I lived in Dortmund and I went back there, I, I, I would go for a coffee in the morning and, and you think the game was going to start in about 45 minutes and I could be in the city <laughs> at nine o'clock. You think, wow, where's all these fans coming from? And They just make it a special atmosphere and there's no aggression or anything like that. There's just a nice... A really nice atmosphere with the families going to the games, and and the big thing for me again, you probably know yourself, is the colours. They, they predominantly wear the, the jerseys, the scarves. They turn out in their colours. The, the German fans and the atmospheres in the stadiums are, are fantastic. First weekend coming up, and the biggest game of that match day is going to be the Rafia derby between Borussia Dortmund and Schalke. It's just an enormous occasion, even. Without the fans, it's still going to mean so much to the people who are watching from home. Yeah, uh, well, my, my first derby, um, I remember Mikael Zock saying to me, we have to win this one. And uh, I never realised how big it was. We, the first one was in, in the Schalke's old, old stadium in, in Gelsenkirk. And, and the, I remember going to the stadium and the, the amount of fans that I saw, blue and white and yellow and black, was incredible. And uh, I remember... Uh, the warm up it was the warm up was nearly full with fans anyway that was that was incredible even in the warm up the the flares were going the jerseys were flying around and and I remember uh, uh, walking walking uh, out to the tunnel for the for the game and the referee stopped everybody you know the two teams Schalke were were coming out and we were coming out and I thought well the fog's descended really quickly here it was really sunny every time I came in here but the fog is <laughs> it's quite it's quite bad and then I I realised. What they were doing, they were, they were burning each other's jerseys, and the, the smoke and the flares were, were cause we couldn't get out, we couldn't see the pitch until it until it actually um, 
uh, descended, and then we uh, we played the game. We beat them three one, believe it or not. And uh, they, had a, they had a really good side at that time. Schalke, they had Olaf Tone and, and Martin Max, uh, Muller up front. They were they were a really good side at that at that time. We managed to beat them three one, and then then I realised what what the river derby was. So we've had the players' perspective on the Rafia derby from Paul Lambert. Now it's time to look at it from the journalist's angle. And we're joined by a man who follows Borussia Dortmund very closely indeed. It's the German football journalist Lars Polman. And Lars, for our listeners who maybe aren't quite aware of the Rafia derby's significance, just how big a game is this? Well, it's certainly the biggest singular game in Germany, I would say. Um, I mean, modern times, maybe people would think Bayern versus Dortmund just because of, you know, the competitiveness at the top of the league. But in historical terms, uh, there's no bigger divide in Germany than in the very close rural area where both of these clubs are situated between Dortmund and Schalke. I mean, you were born into a Dortmund family or a Schalke family and there's really no or switching sides, if you like. So I'm, I'm, for, for British <laughs> listeners, it might be uh, similar to maybe uh, Rangers versus Celtic. So it's, it's really quite important without maybe, you know, political uh, background. And it's one of those games, Lars, where sometimes you look at a team's form going into it. And it's a big cliche, this, about form not applying to a big derby. But some of the results that you see in the Rafia derby just don't make sense, do they? Especially some of the wins Schalke have had fairly recently against Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the two last games in Dortmund were a 4 all draw in which Dortmund threw away a 4-0 uh, halftime lead and a 2-4 loss uh, from Dortmund's perspective, which they finished with uh, nine players on the pitch. So, I mean, if, if the old adage of form not playing a part in actual results at the end of the day it does make sense anywhere it's probably in the Revere Derby and now obviously with the corona crisis and nine weeks without football that might be even more the case now Dortmund's home form has been outstanding not just this season but in the last couple of seasons uh, I'd say before that it's going to be strange, isn't it? Because obviously the famed yellow wall, the Zutribuna, you know, we're used to the fans having a really big impact in a similar way to maybe the fans at Anfield for Liverpool. Obviously that element is now taken away. So it's going to be really interesting to see, I guess, how the Dortmund players deal with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, Dortmund are really kind of bad off with the, the ghost games, as we say in Germany. Uh, they are the only unbeaten team at home in the entire Bundesliga and if I'm not mistaken I think Lucien Favre as the Dortmund head coach has only lost one Bundesliga home game incidentally against Schalke last season uh, so no, it, that's now more than 18 months worth of uh, home games which kind of tells you that they're really good at home and that I think a large part of that is obviously having the support of 70 of the 80,000 that are usually packing the stands in Dortmund and as you said it's going to be really interesting uh, the, the two biggest games of the season for Dortmund, obviously, are Schalke and Bayern these days. And they have both Schalke and Bayern at home this season, but without fans. So what, what would have been a, a massive advantage or potentially a massive advantage has turned into potentially a disadvantage. Or maybe it's just a wash because while they don't have really home games anymore, they also don't have away games. For example, they play at Leipzig. Uh, that's not going to be a huge issue in terms of you know fan support or whatever. 
One of the big positives for Dortmund over the weeks before uh, the suspension was the form of Erling Haaland. And he's dovetailed so beautifully with the likes of Jaden Sancho. And in those two, Dortmund have two of the most exciting players, not just in Germany, but in the world, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the, the nine weeks break has kind of given a lot of people some time to think about this. And, and I think a lot of people have called... Germany a playground for future Ballon d'Or candidates and and certainly Dortmund seem to have at least two of them uh, at their disposal in Sancho and Haaland which I mean as you said they they gelled so well over what basically have been like two months uh, for for Haaland especially because he only turned up at Dortmund in, in January and he's not been up to speed immediately because he had a knee injury coming from Salzburg so he kind of had a slow start, if you like, but then again, he scored a, a hat-trick on his debut, so I don't think Haaland does slow start per se, but uh, they it, it certainly seems uh, as though the, those two have a great chemistry already, and obviously from a Dortmund perspective, you would hope that they uh, try to uh, cultivate that further beyond the summer. Just one final question, Lars, on Jaden Sancho. Obviously, in England, there's a huge amount of buzz about him, but also a huge amount of speculation about him coming uh, back to the Premier League, having been at Manchester City earlier in his career. There seems to be a lot of talk in the German media that he would go at the end of this season. But of course, now it's an unprecedented situation. And I guess we just don't know what this crisis is going to do in terms of the transfer market. My my viewpoint is that every player that would have left in this summer uh, who's under contract beyond 2021, so such as Sancho, but also Kai Havertz, who is obviously of interest to uh, the, the likes of Liverpool, for example, I would assume that those guys are going to stick around for one more year just because the, the selling clubs don't have a real incentive to sell them in a buyer's market, if you like. But obviously, yeah. when we're talking about these generational players such as Sancho or Harvard or maybe even a Timo Werner, obviously he has a release clause. But in theory, when we're talking about these once-in-a-decade or so talents, I, I would assume that if a club finds uh, itself in a position to bid you know, 100 million euros for Harvard or a little bit more for Sancho, then there's still the the off chance that you know the the player will push through a move, but I would certainly not be surprised to see Sancho at Dortmund and Harvard at Leverkusen next season. Well, my thanks to Lars Polman for his insight. Regardless of how the Rafia Derby unfolds this weekend, it is going to be a gripping affair. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Well, now it's time to head to the Rhineland. Ball played into the penalty area. It's game over. Lars Bedner. Chance score. Stindl scores. There's the finish. Raphael getting the final touch on that. Low ball in and a goal. They've got themselves right back into it. And it's Karim Balarabi who's got on the end of the cross. You're listening to Bundesliga is back. A game day podcast. I'm Kevin Hatchard. Some of the Bundesliga's most fascinating stories will unfold in the Rhineland, with Borussia Mönchengladbach, Köln and Bayer Leverkusen all on that patch. Reporter Archie Rintut lives in Cologne and he'll be going to one of the Bundesliga games this weekend. He talked to us about the new normal for reporters. Yeah, well, normally when I arrive at the stadium, I get some abuse from the security guards, but I don't get my temperature tested. Um, So that's going to be a difference. Um, Because if my temperature is, uh, is not, uh, is, is above 38 degrees, then I won't be allowed into the stadium. Um, so, yeah, there are regulations there um, for me to follow. Um, and obviously with no fans there, it's going to be very weird indeed. This is, look, these are not, these are not the circumstances that anyone wants to play these games in right now. Um, and it, it's certainly, a, I think everyone accepts that it's a very short-term measure um, given the extraordinary circumstances that we're in. Um, but yeah, usually I don't have to read a 51-page booklet on briefing myself ahead of going into a stadium with all the various guidelines of where I can and can't go. Um, so yeah, it's being taken ex- very, very seriously here. In terms of the actual action on the pitch, Borussia Mönchengladbach, one of the teams you'll be covering uh, at the weekend. I think it's fair to say, Archie, they're ahead of schedule, aren't they, in their first season under Marco Rosa? I've not looked at a table for a while because just playing the football in the first place seems like a result. And to see that they're 21 points ahead of Frankfurt is not something that I would have remembered, to be honest, um, had I not looked at the table. But... I think that shows you because Frankfurt are a good side. Just yeah. across, um, just across the Rhineland, uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Now, they're likely to be, I would think, Gladbach's most strong competitors for that final Champions League spot. Although maybe uh, they'll be able to catch the likes of Dortmund uh, and Leipzig and Bayern. But Leverkusen yeah. were in stunning form. When the suspension happened, it looked as though Peter Boss, their coach, had finally got his team to understand what he wants from them. Yeah, to be honest, I think 
they'll probably benefit from this time as well because such is the physical demand on Leverkusen's style of play. I would think, on the one hand, that this might give them a chance to to really um, have a breather, which which Osh sides need because they play a very intense style of football. On the other hand, I think you could argue that you know to be in full flow as they were this is going to deny them some of the rhythm and the momentum that they've built up and that maybe you want to be um, as, as, in, as in flow as possible when you're trying to play a high-intensity game because the success of it comes from having your automatisms all, all going quite well and, and being in, in good momentum with that. So let's see. But I, I think they're certainly one of the teams to watch. Let's face it, Schalke aren't going to face any, aren't, aren't going to mount any challenge to the top five now. Ten point gap, it's pretty sealed off at the top. Just a word on Kai Havertz as well, Archie, because yeah. this is a kid who's just extraordinarily talented. There's a story in Built, one of the German papers, suggesting that Leverkusen wouldn't sell him for any less than 100 million euros. For listeners who don't know that much about him. Just how good is Kai Havertz? Well, he's being compared to Michael Ballack, who is actually quoted today in Sportbild magazine, one of the largest football magazines over here, uh, as saying that Havertz should stay as well. And when you're being compared to someone like Michel Ballack, um, several different pronunciations there, you can take the one you like, um, <laughs> I think we'll spin that, a wheel later in the show. Don't worry, it's fine. Well, I always either the German or the English one. You can take what you want, um, but um, but I, I think it says a lot about him. I I nearly actually ended Kai Havertz's career, Kev, because I nearly ran him over once on my bike because he was looking at his phone in Cologne. Um, but thank, <laughs> thankfully for him, I didn't. Story, yes. uh, <laughs> but look, he's he's an exceptional talent. He is very good at knowing when to time his run into the box. He, he, he has this very kind of light quality on the ball. Ozil-esque, I would say, in that sense, in that he can, he can trot around sometimes and you think, what's he doing? But actually, when he's on the ball, he does so much good that, yeah, like there's a reason why he's being talked about in 100 million figures um, like this. So, yeah, I, I I agree with with um, with Mr. Balak. There we go. We got around it. Uh, in that, uh, I think that he would be better off staying for now uh, at, at Leverkusen. But yeah, he'll certainly be an asset, even if he didn't have a good first half of the season with Leverkusen. Let's not forget that either. Uh, but overall, like the, the the greater evidence that we've seen is that this is a player with the potential to become a world class star in the years to come and if not already playing at a very high level well we'll leave Archie to make his way through those 51 pages of hygiene protocols ahead of that big game in Frankfurt this weekend it's not just the Bundesliga that is returning because the second tier Bundesliga 2 has also been given the green light Hamburg is one of the biggest clubs in Germany and the Northern Giants are currently third in the second division Mark McGee had a varied playing and coaching career which included beating Real Madrid with Ab- Dean in the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, and he also spent a season with Hamburg in the mid-80s, and I'm delighted to say uh, that he joins us now. Just to give listeners an idea, Mark, how big a club 
is Hamburg because obviously they're not in the Bundesliga at the moment, but this is an enormous institution, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and it's not just the, the sort of size of the club, it's the kind of um, culture. You know, the, Hamburg have a very, very powerful culture. You know, the, you know, sometimes I think that in England and in particular, that we get a little bit um, sort of carried away with how big our clubs are and how important that we are in world football and how much better we support our teams. Well, you know, when you go to Germany and you experience the likes of Hamburg and Dortmund and these clubs, um, you know, they're as big and they're as as, as well supported as any club in uh, in England. And it's not just, as you, as you mentioned there, it's not just the club itself, it's the city as well. How exciting was it to be in Hamburg at that time? Well, I mean, Hamburg, like, I mean, I had left Aberdeen the season before we had won the, the Cup Winners' Cup, as you said, beating Real Madrid. Uh, Hamburg had won the European Cup the same season, uh, beating Juventus in uh, Turin, Felix Magar getting the goal. Um, uh, so, you know, to go to Hamburg at that time, they were, you know, they'd just been European champions. Um, so it was a massive move for me. I had a couple of options. I could have went to Italy. Um, there was a lot of interest uh, from Tottenham uh, for me to replace Steve Archibald. But, you know, what happened was Gunter Netzer, who was the manager, not the coach, the manager, uh, got on a plane, a private plane, and flew to Aberdeen and came to my flat in Aberdeen. And I always remember, I couldn't believe it, when Gunter Netzer came <laughs> to the door. And, uh, you know, my, my wife, Jacqueline, made him a sandwich. <laughs> it was quite bizarre, really. Um, but he talked me into the, the value of it, you know, the strength of the argument to go there. So I went there. And uh, although I didn't stay long, I, I had to return for personal reasons. Uh, um, I wouldn't have returned. I would have stayed. But uh, for personal reasons, I, I had to go family reasons. But the time I had there was just brilliant. The city itself is magnificent. It's a beautiful city. I'm still very friendly. I'm still doing some business with a couple of teammates. Wolfgang Rolf and Thomas von Eason. I still see them regularly. Um, you know, so it, it, it's great memories for me. And there were some big personalities in that team as well. It was uh, it was an excellent side, wasn't it? it? It was. It was. You know, after the, the European success, they, they 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 started to they were aging a little bit. You know, uh, Manny Kaltz, uh, Dietmar Jakob, Julie Stein. Um, uh, uh, sorry, did I say Felix? You know, we're all starting to even Bernd Wehmeyer, you know, he's still at the club now. Um, they were all starting to sort of, they peaked really. Um, so they were kind of on the wane when I got there, which I didn't really realise before I went there. But, you know, you know players I've mentioned, uh, Manny Kaltz, uh, you know, uh, I think he played in the semi final of the World Cup. Uh, Felix and Dietmar Jakobs both played in the final, which, you know, Germany lost. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, that's the sort of standard the players are there. And you went on to, to be a very experienced manager, Mark. And when you were at Hamburg, uh, you worked under a coach that uh, actually ended up with a stadium named after him, Ernst Happel. Uh, what was it like working under him? Because he had a legendary reputation. Uh, he, was a, he was a very, very powerful character, but a very different type of guy you know I've still, I have a, you know, have some photographs up around the house obviously I have a wall uh, in one side of my bedroom with a lot of football photographs and there's a piece of Ernst and I up there you know um, I do value that time with him uh, unfortunately of course he's passed on since since then but 
he was very grumpy. He, he used to call me the Scotsman, you know. And even when I got <laughs> to a point where I could where I could speak reasonable German, uh, he would still uh, go through one of the boys, Eric Soler, a Norwegian boy, who could speak a player who could speak several languages. He would always translate through uh, Eric. And even uh, latterly, what would happen was he would say to Eric in German, you know, tell the Scotsman that he's got to do whatever, you know, he's got to push up front. Um, and Eric would then say to me in German, uh, the manager, the coach says that, uh, trainer we call them, the trainer says you have to push up front. And I would then answer him in German and say, yep, okay, um, <laughs> understand that. And then he would then say to Ernst in German, uh, okay, he understands that, you know. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me directly because <laughs> he just wasn't convinced that I could understand what he was saying. Now, generally there hasn't been always a massive tradition of British players moving abroad. There have been examples like yourself and, and guys like Paul Lambert, who of course uh, was at Borussia Dortmund. There are plenty of British players starting to realise that a move to the Bundesliga uh, could be good for their development. We've seen Jaden Sancho uh, blaze that particular trail and presumably with the positive experiences that you had, it's something you'd recommend to young British players. I mean, absolutely. Um, whether it's a loan or whether you actually go there, it's two different things. But, you know, to go to um, the Bundesliga, you know, you won't be disappointed in, you know, any aspect of the, the stadium, the training grounds, the, the coaching, the, the standards, you know, everything is absolutely professional, absolutely top drawer. And it was, even back in my time, it was ahead, they were ahead of the game even by you know, the standards that I had experienced at uh, Aberdeen um, under Alex Ferguson. But, you know, um, the, the, the Bundesliga in Germany as a, as, a, as a country is a brilliant country. The people are brilliant people. They really are. And one of the things about it is I think if you go there as a young player and you also challenge the language, take on learning the language, it's just something that somehow stretches you. And it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me. Um, but it, 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 it somehow challenges you and it broadens your horizon to live in a different country and experience different cultures. And I think it, it ultimately it makes you a better person and therefore ultimately it makes you a better player. You're listening to Bundesliga is Back, a game day podcast. Here's an opportunity now inside the penalty area, which is easily put in, stroked over by Kingsley Coleman. 1-0 to Bayern Munich. France won it inside the area, and he's rolled it into the net. Julian Brandt. Kramerich calling for it near post. Goes for it, and he gets the equaliser. What a hit from Coutinho. Hazard, edge of the area, goes round the goalkeeper, and volleys home. Oh, it's seven for Bayern Munich, and Serge Gnabry has got four. You're listening to Bundesliga is back, a game day podcast with me, Kevin Hatchard. Fortuna Dusseldorf are one of the teams battling to survive in the German top flight. And their sporting director, Lutz Fannenstiel, joined Paul Coit on TalkSport 2 Sports Day programme. And Paul asked him if he was surprised that the Bundesliga was able to restart. Well, I think we are all positively surprised because we really put a lot of work into that document. So uh, we are definitely happy that it, that it starts again. You know, it was now eight weeks of, of, of training uh, in different kind of groups, first individual and then slowly increase the groups. But finally, now the day is coming. 
And uh, yeah, I think if we are really uh, follow the rules and, and really work through this document very well and everybody shows the discipline, then we have a very, very good chance in, yeah, not just being the first league who starts, but also being the first league who finishes. Absolutely. How difficult have the last couple of weeks been, especially with um, training? And, and obviously, you've got to be so on top of everything that happens as far as social distancing, about the how players and how everybody in the club are actually behaving. It's got to be hard. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's also a different level of concentration because obviously, you know, you have to watch, you have to think and lots of natural things which you normally doing, they, you just simply can't do them. And uh, that will also be a challenge, obviously, now when the, the games will be played because you're not supposed to, to, to celebrate together or yeah. give us a handshake with the players. So there is all kind of uh, little bits and pieces where you just have to concentrate, as I said, it's a big responsibility for everybody in the clubs, the players, the coaches, uh, the staff, because the whole world will look now at the German Bundesliga and see if that kind of uh, concept uh, really works as well as we expect. And I think then it will be also a role model for all the other leagues, which will hopefully soon follow. Interesting, because I, I guess you imagine that everybody is aware of that, not only the fact that uh, it's going to be something that everybody will follow, but around the world, there's hardly any live sport, so everybody's going to be watching it to actually get their fix of football as well. Yeah, I think the Bundesliga will be very popular in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, you know, I think this is something what uh, where also I think the social factor comes in that uh, everybody talks about the money side, the financial things of restarting, but I also believe it's a big emotional uh, thing as well because uh, football people or football fans or sports fans all over the world, they're sitting at home, they were waiting now for the moment that something happening again on the screen. And um, yeah, I believe millions of people all over the world are frustrated, they're sad, they don't know what the future brings. Sure. So I think we can give them a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy and a little bit of entertainment coming Saturday when the Bundesliga restarts again. Well, let's hope so. Tell me about the document then. Has everybody been involved in putting the document together? Because you mentioned there just right at the top that it was something that you had some say in. And is it amongst everybody in every club would would, would have their own input into this 51-page document? Uh, well, not really. It was done in a way that uh, the DFL, uh, and especially the head of the DFL, Christian Pfeiffer, they did a fantastic job because they're putting a task force medicine together where there was some leading uh, specialists uh, from Germany who really detailed worked on that dossier. And then there was uh, another task for sport, where different sporting directors also put their impact in and, and, and their input in. And then we had a few uh, meetings with all the sporting directors, with all the presidents, where we just went through it and everybody was happy in the end of the day. But the most important thing is to say that we are not the ones, uh, not even the league, not the clubs who decide to play. It's simply the politicians who sure. gave us the green light. And I think that's the, the beauty about it, that that concept that DFL presented obviously uh, showed enough trust from the politicians that they, they gave us the, the wave to go ahead. You sound very positive about it, Lutz. Is, is it something you're very positive that not only will go ahead, of course we're only less than a week away now, that it will get finished and everything will go ahead without any problems? Well, the, the problem is that I'm always very positive. <laughs> it's always a good thing to have when <laughs> yeah, someone's running but, a football uh, club. But in this case, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to it. Yes, I think there is lots of confidence from all the clubs in it. And, and you know, as I said, we put a lot of work in it. Eight weeks training, kind of like swimming without water. Yeah. Now the day is there. And I think mo all the boxes are have been ticked. Uh, you know, everybody uh, feels safe because uh, I always 
told that all to my players, um, the government, the, the politicians would not uh, let us play if they're not convinced that concept is safe for everybody. Now, I'm interested to see what your take on this is. Obviously, you, you follow football here, and there's the talk of neutral venues being used, and that seems like that's going to be a given that it's going to happen, uh, that we're not going to have clubs that are going to be able to play a home and away. I know that's not the case in the Bundesliga. And where your position is at the moment, I know you're occupying the final relegation spot, so you, you know, you've got some games you need to win. How much difference would it make to you if you had to play in a neutral venue instead of playing any games at home? Although, obviously, you not have anybody there. Yeah, to be honest, uh, I think uh, because of the behind closed doors, uh, the only thing which is, is your home is basically the stadium, you know, and the grass, you know. But there is no uh, advantage with fans, no advantage with support or with atmosphere. So I think uh, you, you basically simply focus on that, what's happening on the field, because nothing is happening around you. So that typical home advantage, in my opinion, doesn't exist. Really? So. Oh. Uh, Playing at home or having played now in, in, in a neutral venue, I don't think that it makes that big of a difference. The only thing is that you obviously are used a little bit more to your ground, to your stadium, to your surrounding. But does it really make the difference? I don't think so. I mean, uh, I played a bit myself and I always had the feeling when there is 60,000, 70,000 pushing you forward that this makes the difference but not if you know exactly what colour the substitute bench is. Well, so if the authorities had come to you and said, look, uh, Lutz, this is how it's going to be, um, you are going to have to play at neutral ground, you would have no problem with that? Well, if uh, now I would be in England, I wouldn't. Uh, here, I don't think it will happen because uh, we already decided the way to go ahead. Yeah, I sure, think, but uh, if you know, that had happened, you, you would have been fine. Yeah, I, I, I personally think it's OK. You know, it's, it's more about to, to get the ball rolling again and, and to get football back. I think uh, how, how you're getting it sorted, whatever is the safest solution, I think uh, that's what really counts. And also here in Germany, there was, there was talks about exactly that thing to play, to choose five or six venues and play all the games there. But uh, fortunately for us, uh, we managed now to, to still at least use all our home grounds. Is there any nervousness uh, amongst players? Because that's another thing. Uh, players over here are saying, you know, we, we don't know. Is this, is this dangerous for it to be involved in? Um, as far as you're concerned over the Bundesliga, are uh, most players very happy to play? You know, we had uh, lots of conversations, uh, also myself, with all the players. We kept them updating. As the concept was updated every week, we also kept them updating. We updated. We also put kind of like a, a workshop on where there was lots of questions and uh, concerns obviously mentioned. Now in my team, uh, it's actually, we have like six players who just have very small babies recently born. Yeah, yeah. So obviously these guys, they have all the right in the world to, to ask their questions. But as we explained everything, as they, they asked their questions and also our team doctor explained everything from, from a medical view, uh, everybody is really uh, ready now to go. The Fortuna Dusseldorf Sporting Director Lutz Fannenstiel there speaking to Paul Coit. Well, my thanks to everyone who's featured on the show. It's been my pleasure to bring you the Bundesliga is back, a game day podcast. And now, hopefully, we'll be able to let the football do the talking. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. 
Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.